As I uh, think back over the last six years, uh, it's amazing to think about what God has done here. And uh, when you begin with a group of about 13 people in a home and you kind of begin casting vision and you hear church planting uh, people tell you, hey, Brandon, you should, you should go to Will's Point and feel like God's called you, but just be prepared that you may never be a church of over 50 or 100 people. The demographics just don't support a church that you're dreaming of. And with that, I said, you know what, God's called us there, and it doesn't matter what the church size is, ultimately it matters my obedience to God. And so we went, and over the last six years, to see how uh, from just a handful of people the church has grown, and how uh, literally how many uh, marriages have been restored, and how many people have been encouraged to faith, that ministries like Merge would exist here, that we would have the largest recovery ministry uh, in this part of East Texas that's happening every single night with solid leadership, and it doesn't have a single staff member there. It's incredible to see how people have been discipled and changed. It's awesome to see the strategic partners that have been developed, that we're giving to every single month, and that they're doing ministry that we can't do as a body, that uh, they're feeding hundreds of families at Mana every single month. And we've contributed to them since we really first began. And we've given large amounts of money to them. Matter of fact, just two years in, we gave over $14,000 to them in one offering that we took up on a Sunday. And we have seen that happen. We've seen partnerships like the Mexican Indian Training Center in Mexico take off. And how many church planters are going this uh, coming up year in January, we're taking a trip and we're having to tell people no because we can't, we can't take any more people. The spots are way over full. And so it's cool to see how God has developed a heart of missions here and how we've sent people to places like Africa in the last six years. We've sent people to places like Costa Rica, not just Mexico, but also Guatemala and how we're going to continue to send and what that looks like. We have seen God do awesome, awesome things. This last Easter, we had almost half in terms of attendance of what this community has in population. For a church to reach 10% of your community, you're doing an amazing thing. And to think that we're doing well above that is it's a God thing. And we, we thank God for it. I'll tell you this. I think it's awesome to look back. Because it's, it, you're able just to remember, and we want you to remember all the things that God has done. In a sense, that's what Israel would do. They would build altars so they didn't forget what God had done. But I'll tell you, as much fun as it is to look backwards, I think it's also important for us to look forward. And I want to just encourage you today. I want you to imagine with me if we all dreamed and we all looked forward and we all asked God, what would it look like? If we all bought in for a single purpose, what would it look like if we decided to advance God's kingdom here at Stone Point? And that we decided we would do more than we've ever done before. And that we would ask God to advance our faith, to encourage our uh, stamina, and, and in a sense, it advance us personally. What would that look like if we dreamed together about that? What would it look like if you dreamed for you, for your family, and for your church. And you said, God, would you help me to increase my faith in a way that we advanced your cause more than we ever have before? I mean, think about that. Could you imagine us advancing in the next three years more than what we've done in the last six? And I think it's possible. But I do think it requires some faith. And I want to just talk 
to you real quickly about what that looks like. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible at all, we'd love to bless you with one. Obviously, today, as Pastor Dick talked about, we're a little bit backwards. You're entering in places that you've never entered before. But if you walk out the back doors of our worship center, there's going to be a lobby there. If you're a first-time guest, you can take the communication card with you. They would love to bless your family with free T-shirts. If you're here and you don't have a Bible, they'd love to get you one there if you'll go to the resource counter uh, which is out in the, the normal lobby space. But as you're turning to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, I want you to look with me at verse 6. And this is a, a, a chapter that right in the middle of that that God's using a, an unknown author to show us what faith looks like. And in verse 6 it just says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. Him being God, that without faith it's impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now look at that. There's two things there that are really important. It just says that, that you, you, you should believe in him and that he rewards those who seek him. So here it is, this chapter, that if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've heard Preachers say uh, this cheesy terminology, it's the hall of faith, you know. Uh, it's not the hall of fame, it's the hall of faith. And you go, oh, okay, I get it. And it's just the faith chapter, and it's talking about the faith of people. Faith of people like Rahab, who wasn't even an Israelite. Uh, people that uh, were obedient, like Isaac, who was sacrificed and offered up by his father. You see time and time and time again this idea of faith. And if you didn't call it just the hall of faith, I think you could call it the hall of advancement. Like these people were advancing God's kingdom. Like that was really important to them. Matter of fact, let me just show you a few instances. Look at verse 7. In verse 7 it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And as he went out, not knowing where he was going. Look at verse 24. Another one that you've heard of, Moses. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25 says, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Like, do you see the pattern there? It's pretty easy one, isn't it? By faith, by faith, by what? By faith. By faith, they advance God's kingdom. And think about it. By faith, Noah started a construction project. By faith, you see... A guy like Abraham who he said, I'm going to relocate my entire family. I'm going to go wherever it is that God calls us to go. Just within the last month, we've had a development here at Stone Point of one of our young ladies who in the last year and a half has come to faith in Christ, dedicated herself to his purposes, is about to relocate herself for a year of full-time missions, and we're going to support her doing it. That's an incredible idea, and it happens by faith. Do you know where her faith was established? here do you know where it was increased is when she took a trip to africa do you know how god does that it's when you take a step of faith and obedience that's how god does it is by faith and then you got moses i mean he changed his entire allegiance i mean he he in a sense switched tribes he goes i would rather be persecuted with the people of israel than to have comfort in the home of pharaoh that's an incredible thing 
all happening by faith. And I'll tell you, faith begins with a solid belief. And your belief will always determine your behaviors. Always. Your belief will always determine your behaviors. There was a guy who was uh, climbing up a cliff, and uh, he fell. And as he was falling, he managed to grab a hold of a stick that was hanging outside the cliff. And he just was like, help, help, I'm afraid. And he was afraid, just clinging for his life. And all of a sudden, he hears a voice. He says, I am God. I am with you. He goes, oh, please, 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 let, let, help me, help me, help me. And God says, do you believe in me? And he says, yes, I believe, yes, I believe. He goes, well, let go. And trust me. And the man paused for just a second. And then he goes, is there anybody else up there? And that's how we feel, isn't it? Like sometimes you're just like, God, are you sure about this? And that's what faith requires. It's a step. And I'll tell you this. If you were ever going to advance the kingdom of God and allow God to use your life, it takes two things. And these are two fundamental beliefs. Not just saying, God, I'll trust you, and yes, God, I know you're there. No, but if he were to say, I want you to go, you'll never be able to if you don't believe these two things. Never. You won't ever be able to contribute to God's purposes. You'll never be able to invest your resources. You'll never be able to have a, a hard faith conversation with someone if you don't believe these two things. And the first one is, is that you have to believe in a God who has created everything. It is a fundamental belief. Now, you don't think too much about that, but I, I want you to just to think through that for just a second. Even in Psalm 139, you have this beginning of this chapter in which David says, God, you can search me and know me. That would be verse 1. And then from there, it just talks about, God, you know everything about me. You know when I sit. You know when I rise. God, you perceive my thoughts from afar. And this is David. Like, he's not thinking about creation in terms of just the whole world. And that's oftentimes what we think of. And absolutely, God created everything that we see and know. Matter of fact, in Colossians 1, we see that Jesus created all things, both visible and invisible, for his purposes. And you think, oh, wow, he's the one who flung the stars into the sky. I mean, he's the one who set the, uh, the uh, sun in its place. You, you're the one who thinks... And you go, yes, he's the one who created the galaxy. You're, he's the one who created this entire expanse of the universe, who separated from uh, sea and sky. He's the one who's done all that. And you go, absolutely. But see, David, he honed it in a little bit more. And he goes, God, you didn't just create everything I see and know. You created me. You created me. You know me. He even asked God at one point in the Psalms, he says, God, who is man that you are mindful of him? God, it seems like we're just mere peons, like we're little ants on this planet. And God, you seem concerned about us. Like you seem that you're invested and involved in us. And he is. Matter of fact, look what David writes in Psalm 139 about who God is and what he's done. He says in verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, in verse 14. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Now, let me ask you a question. You go, oh, God created everything. And you go, yeah, I believe that. No, but let me ask you a question. Do you really believe that? Because if you really believe that God created everything and that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, do you realize how much that changes your service to him? 
That means that your eyes, your nose, your ears, your hands, your feet, your intellect, your will, your soul, every part of your being was created by God and for God. That you're his, that you're his handiwork. Ephesians 2.10 says that you were created in Christ to do good works. Like God didn't just create the world and create us in the world just for us to exist. He didn't create us so that we would have multitude of pleasures. Although, I guess if you would presume to believe that you came from a single cell organism and that you have developed over a, a period of time into what you are now and happened to land at the top of the food chain, then I guess you could do whatever you wanted. Matter of fact, I would even say you should do whatever you want, honestly. Like, why get bogged down with this church thing? And why, why even try to believe or, or, in a sense, be pushed to being made to do something that you don't believe in? That would be foolish, right? But if you go, no, I do believe that God created me. I believe that he knows me and that he wants to use me. I think that changes everything. It changes all of that. That it, What seems complex gets very simple because everything you have is his. Everything. And I'll tell you this, if you're grateful that you are created by God, then it means that you become grateful in the way you live your life. It, you are a pleasure to be around. Why? Because grateful people advance God's kingdom and his mission. Why? Because they realize who created them. Look at verse 23 in that Psalm 139. David doesn't just realize that God created him, but David takes it a little further. And this is where it gets a little bit uncomfortable for us. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David doesn't just recognize that God created him. He even invites God into the narrative. He goes, God, you created me. You know me. You saw me when I was unformed. You formed me. You made me fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, God, if you don't mind, since you want me to be on your team, why don't you go ahead and coach me? Why don't you go ahead and invest in me? Why don't you go ahead and teach me? Why doesn't your spirit lead me, God? I'm just going to go ahead and give it all up to you. That's what he begins to do. He goes, God, speak, and if you want me to go, I'll go. My ears are attentive to you. It's like you see many of the prophets of old that would, they were ready at a moment's notice that if God were to speak, they would be ready. Amen? That's the idea. And so if, if we believe that God created us, then we ought to also ask him to invest in our lives. We ought to ask him to put people around us that help stretch our faith, who help mold us and shape us, and that we're no longer conformed to the patterns of the world, but we're, what, constantly renewed and being transformed into the likeness of his son, Jesus. Amen? And that's what it looks like to be a part of that. But here's what's awesome. It's not just about believing that God uh, created the world and everything that you see and know, but it's also about a second fundamental belief. Are you ready for it? It's that you would believe in a Jesus who has the power to recreate anything. So it's not just that God created everything, but it's also that God, through his son Jesus, can recreate at a moment's notice. I'll give you a couple examples. In John chapter 2, you have something that was water. It was 
naturally water. That's what it would have came out of. It would have came out of the earth, out through the spigot, right? And it was water. I'll tell you this. It's, it's one thing to take water and to turn it into tea. It's another thing to take water and turn it into Kool-Aid. Why? Because there's another element involved. But if you have no other elements involved, you can't have natural changed into something supernatural unless you have a creator who recreates. And in John chapter 2, this wedding Canaan Galilee, Jesus is the very first miracle that he did. And he takes water and he turns it into wine. And for most of us, as we look at that story, we go, oh, that's a pretty cool story. That's, that's awesome. I, we must be able to drink wine at weddings. I mean, Jesus did it. And that's kind of where we leave the narrative. Like, woo! And we miss this like fundamental thing about who Jesus is. This is the point of the story. Jesus isn't providing wine for everybody who wants to drink it. Yeah, he does that. But here's the, here's the cool thing. Jesus takes something natural and through a supernatural act of recreation, he changes it into something different. He does the same thing in John chapter 11, and we don't really catch it. You've got a friend named Lazarus. His, his sisters have been worried about him. He's obviously come down with something. He dies. Jesus was not there physically in person. They weep. They cry. When Jesus finally gets to the town, they go out and they meet him, and, and they're literally just crying at Jesus' feet. And they believe that if Jesus would have been there, Lazarus would have died. But here's the deal. He finally gets to Lazarus' grave, and you got this guy who's been dead for several days, and then all at once, Jesus does an act of recreation. Why? Because when an organism or something that God has created is dead, it doesn't come back to life. That's not natural. But there, an act of recreation, something taken dead to life, is supernatural act of recreation. And Jesus does it. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes forth. And you've got this act of recreation. But here's what's interesting. We would marvel at those two stories, wouldn't we? Agree? Like if you were at Canaan and Galloway, you wouldn't be going, oh, wow, there's wine for it. Like if you were there and you caught what Jesus did, you would go, wow, that's unbelievable. I've never seen that before. If you were there at Lazarus' grave and you saw him come forth, you would go, oh, my goodness, right? OMG. Oh my goodness. And you would be blown away. But let me ask you a question. Have you forgotten that God is doing acts of recreation around us all the time? You know, the most important thing about looking back is not our strategic partners. It's not the mission trips. It's not the hundreds of people we've helped through benevolence. It is the hundreds of I didn't say dozens, hundreds of lives who have come to faith in Jesus since we began six years ago. Over 10% of our population has come to faith in Jesus. Not attending church, they've been recreated. God took them and they were dead in their sins and their trespasses and he made them alive in Christ. Amen? Like, if there's anything worth clapping for, that would be it. God took people out of darkness, and he, call, he called them to the wonderful light of Jesus. That's awesome. That's recreation. That's what we believe in. God's recreating people all the time. Paul says because of that, that we ought to be moved to that. Matter of fact, in uh, Philippians 3, he writes to the church of Philippi, and this is what he says in verses 12 through 14. He says, not that I've already obtained it, 
or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And the question is, is what my own? And then he says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What Paul says, he says, because God has ransomed me, because he's redeemed me, because he's freed me from this sick kind of slavery that was subduing me, he goes, I am his, and my call is to advance for him. Why? As God laid hold of me, I lay hold of God's purposes. He goes, God recreated me, and so I want to be a part of God's recreation story in the world. I want to press on because God has laid hold of me. That's the idea. You got it? In a sense, we're in double debt. God didn't just create you. He recreated you. And if you're here today and you go, I'm a Christian, like you ought to be moved in an enormous fashion. Why? Because God didn't just make you and see you as an unformed substance, right? He didn't just create you in flesh and blood, but he also gave you a purpose. He gave you a new life something that's worth living for, something that's worth dying for. You got that? Something that's worth investing in, and that's the, f- the future of the kingdom of God. That's what God has done it for. Let me ask you all a question. Have you ever heard the term fantasy football? Just raise your hand right here on the Wills Point campus. Go ahead, raise your hand, okay? So fantasy football, here's what it is. Like you're looking for impact players. Got me? So what you do is you get together with your buddies and you draft a team and you're hoping that you draft a team that's really good. Okay. If you don't, then you're like my fantasy football team and you're like one in four. Okay. Uh, And so obviously I didn't do very well in terms of impact players, but that's what it's about. But have you ever thought about really the idea of fantasy football? It's kind of an oxymoron in a way. And the reason why is because football's already a fantasy. It's a game. And I'll tell you this, as much energy as we put into it, I'll tell you this, 2,000 years from now, no one's going to look back and worry about the game that we love so much. There are no lives lost in football. There are no lives gained. There are no impacts for anything eternal. There, is, there are no marriages restored. There is no money really given to the cause of the church. Like, there's nothing really in terms of what that is. Now, I'm not trying to guilt you into, obviously, fantasy football. What I am saying is that there are many people who invest in things, lots of creativity, lots of time, lots of resources in things that ultimately just don't last, things that just fade away. But here's what I want you to understand. Advancing God's kingdom means that you can play for a team. And I'll tell you what, you got a coach who's perfect, who invests in him as long as you say, search me and know me, who his plan can be executed with precise and and ultimate precision. Like, he knows what he's doing. Matter of fact, he even says that though there's an obstacle in our way, that there's a challenge in our path, he goes, even that team will not conquer us because there's nothing that can overcome my plan, my team, and my church. And he goes, that's what it looks like to press hold and lay hold of something that's impactful. Why? Because Christ has laid hold of us. We should lay hold of things 
that aren't fantasies, but that are real. We ought to be a part of things where real marriages are being saved. We ought to be a part of things where real lives are being changed and restored. We ought to put our resources in places that God will use far from now. Understand what I'm saying? That's the point. Paul writes it to the church in Corinth in a little bit different way. In 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 and 25, he says this, Hey, don't you know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? And then look what he says. So why don't you run that you may obtain it? Every athlete exercises self-control on things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And Paul speaks of all the things that would happen in the Olympic Games back there. In, in the Grecian times, the, the Greeks would get together and they would train and they would spend a large amount of time and their resources and their talents in investing in running races. And at the very end of that race, if they won, they would get a crown. And that crown would be made of something maybe like an olive branch of trees. And they would, they would make it and they would set it upon their head. And they would be at the top of the podium and they would just be what? Exclaiming how proud they were. Why? Because they had won the race. And Paul uses this analogy and he goes, hey, listen, I want you to realize something. That just as you remember them running the race or you've seen it or you've heard it, he goes, don't forget that we're running a race as well. Don't forget that you have an opportunity to take all of the things that God's created you with. So if God's created you and he's recreated you, he's obviously given you lots of resources and time. He's given you talent. He's given you a life. He's given you breath. He's given you purpose. Because you get to choose. Are you going to invest in a wreath that when you finally hang it on the wall, the olive leaves are gonna, they're gonna break down? And you're going to look up in a few years, that wreath that you were so proud of, that thing, that trophy, is sitting out in the garage now. And you go, what was the point of that? You know what I'm talking about? Just a few years ago, I had the privilege of throwing about 50 trophies away in a box almost as tall as me and about this wide, full of them in the trash. My mom says, hey, we're moving out of this house. You need to either take these trophies with you. Or you need to throw them in the trash. Now, let me ask you a question. How cool would it be is if I took all of those trophies that I earned as a kid and I had them displayed in the living room? Wouldn't that be fantastic? <laughs> wouldn't my wife love that? And wouldn't you be so impressed when you came over for dinner? I'm like, hey, check it out, man. This championship we won when I was 10, man. You would go, nice. And so I thought, you know what, I'm not the most intelligent person, but I'm going to probably take all of this fake gold, and I'm going to just toss it in the trash. And, and that's the way that we have to remember that oftentimes happen with perishable crowns. But Paul says we run for an imperishable crown. That means that we are going to get a crown. Matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 4, I'm reading Revelation right now, you see that there are 24 elders around the throne. And it's amazing because there's a lot of speculation. Are, are those angels or are those people? But here's what you'll realize if you start looking throughout Scripture. Angels don't get crowns. We do. And if you did a word study on the idea of crowns, there's really two different types. There's a crown that's full of diadems, which I think I've talked about recently, and that's a crown that's spectacular of gold and has incredible jewels and different things in it. And that idea of diadem is a crown in which God would wear. 
And then there's another type of crown that we work for, one that will never spoil, one that will never fade away, but it's a Stephanos. That Stephanos is, is a crown very similar to those in the Grecian games. It's, it's given once you've run your race well. Which brings into the idea of what, what uh, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Matter of fact, he just says this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Do you see that? Look at it. He goes, I fought the good fight. I have finished the what? Race. I've kept the faith. And then he goes, henceforth, verse 8, there is laid up for me the crown, Stephanos, of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. In Revelation 4, those, those elders, they take those crowns, which is why I believe they're humans, and they cast them at Jesus' feet. And one day I want to be able to cast a crown because of the advancement I've done for God's purposes. Now, I hope that you'll realize the spirit and when I, what I say this, okay? I don't know of any other way to say it other than this. Number one, do you have a crown? Because you don't have one unless you're a part of God's team. And if you're not a part of God's team, today would be a great day to be a part of it. But if you are a part of God's team, then you need to realize that we have to invest in order to get a crown. We're not saved by our good deeds, but we are saved unto good deeds. Our lives are a representation of that crown. In Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and he even says that you, you you in Thessalonica, you are my joy and my crown. He goes, what God has done through you, because you've come to faith through the gospel, the good news of Jesus that I delivered to you, you're my crown. So get, get this, you and I develop our crown in two ways, by our deeds, the good works we do unto Christ after we're on his team, and the lives that are changed because we share the good news. And so I just have to ask you, how are you advancing God's kingdom? Are you? Are you making a difference? On October 29th, we're going to take up an offering for this Advanced 2020 initiative. But I'll tell you this, that offering, listen to me, is a very, very small part of what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, hey, just give some money, because here's, that's what a lot of people would rather do. They would rather just say, hey, here's my money. But I'll tell you, an offering is a very small part of, a, of what God wants. God wants our life. I mean, think about it. You hear us every single week. We close. We say, go have a great week of worship. Listen, it's not that God's concerned merely with just a few things in your life. He's concerned with all of your life. He's not concerned about this one hour. I mean, you could come in on this one hour and you could go, hey, I ran a really good practice, but if the game is played outside of these walls, that's what counts. And so I look at this offering on our commitment day and this incredible goal we had for Advance 2020, I see that as a very, very, very minute and small fraction of what God's really calling us to. What God is calling us to is to believe that everything we have was created by him and recreated for him. And if you believe those two things, you'll invest in a crown of righteousness that will never spoil or fade away.
Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for today, and we thank you for the message that we have, a message of hope, a message of reconciliation. And God, we thank you that you invite us in to be a part of your team, that you want to use us, your creation, to advance your kingdom purposes. And God, I pray that we realize that in order to do that, it starts with one fundamental thing, and that is belief. God, believing, believing you for great things, believing that you created us and believing that you recreated us through Jesus, that our lives are yours, that our hands and our feet are yours. And you say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. God, would you take us where you want us to go? Would we be obedient? And would we invest in things that have eternal value? We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.